There's a whole multiverse of opinions on the new Doctor Strange movie, and I go into my spoiler thoughts right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my spoiler review for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. As I said, it is a spoiler review. If you want to see my non-spoiler thoughts, you can click the card up there in the corner. It'll take you to my review without any plot details, but we are going deep down into the secrets of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the things I liked about the movie, the things that I wasn't so crazy about, and everything in between. As I mentioned in my non-spoiler review, I'm on the road, so please forgive my multiverse of color temperatures and everything behind me here. It's sort of a mobile setup, so thank you for your patience uh, with my temporary studio away from home. And without further ado, let's get right into it. And the reaction to my non-spoiler review that went up last night has been about what I expected because I think this is a very divisive movie. There are obviously people that are very much in favor of it. It is one of their best movies in the MCU. Some people are kind of more on my side where it's not one of their favorite movies. And I think that it's actually good that you are producing things that get people talking because I think the worst thing would be if Marvel produced a movie and people kind of went, eh. But there's a few things I wanted to point out before I get into the movie itself. Just some kind of rhetorical qualms that I have based on a lot of the response that I've seen so far. And I've seen this thrown at me and at many other reviewers and just people on the internet in general that have opinions. One of the great things about these movies is it gets people talking and you can share their ideas. But there are a few argument tactics that I want to push back against. And, And I would say that if you find yourself engaging in any of these, maybe give it a second thought and come at it a different way. The first one I want to push back on is the one that said, well, I'm sorry the movie wasn't the one that you built up in your head. That may be the case with some people, but I think that that's just an easy way to excuse someone's opinion who's different from yours by saying that they wanted a different movie than the one that you saw. I'm sure perhaps some people were disappointed because they had been following the rumors and the speculation and they thought that, you know, the movie was going to be this, but I did not walk into the movie with any expectations of what it was going to be or what it could be or what it should be. I walked in with a clear mind hoping to enjoy the movie on its own terms. So that's one way that I think it's sort of dismissive of someone's opinion by saying like, well, it just wasn't what you wanted in your head. Not the case with me. There's another thing that I've heard about this, and and it's another way, I think, to dismiss criticism. And they say, like, well, why are you nitpicking this movie so much? Listen, nitpicking this movie would be saying, uh, oh, I didn't like it because Benedict Cumberbatch's accent is a little weird. Or I didn't like the movie because I didn't like what they did with the cloak of levitation in that one scene. I think that that's nitpicking. My issues with the film are down to the script, the storytelling, the characterizations. These are not nitpicky things. These are cornerstone key things to any movie. And and again, I think if you hear somebody with legitimate concerns and then brush it off as nitpicking, that's very dismissive as well. There's one that I've never really understood, which is when they say, stop being critical and just enjoy the movie, which is basically a way of saying, don't think about the movie and just like it, which is really weird because I've been accused of doing that in the past when I do like Marvel movies. First of all, I am a critic, and people think that being a critic means that my job is to look for problems, which is not the case. I look for a good movie, and if I find problems, then I mention those in my review. But I don't go out looking to like find out what's wrong with a movie. I really am there to try to enjoy myself and then share my opinion. But this thing of like, well, stop being so critical and just like it. I'm not just going to blindly like something because it's part of a franchise that I enjoy or because I've enjoyed previous films. I do have to share my thoughts about what I like and what I don't like. But this last one is really my least favorite argument, and I've had it thrown at me a few times already, which was, well, if you were a real fan of the MCU, then you'd understand what this movie was going for and you'd appreciate it. Well, first of all, I am a real fan of the MCU. I have 
I've seen every single movie. I've seen almost every single second of every TV show related to Marvel and the MCU. I've been a Marvel fan going back probably longer than a lot of the people saying that I'm not a real Marvel fan. And this is my least favorite because it is stupid, dumb, gatekeeper BS stuff. Basically saying like, well, you don't like it because you're not a real fan, but I'm a real fan, and so I know how to enjoy this movie. Again, it's perfectly fine to disagree on a film. But when we start drawing lines between real fans and fake fans and saying that only these people are able to enjoy the movie, that is just divisive garbage. If you're doing that, stop doing it because this should be about fun. And yes, sometimes you're going to disagree, but we need to be able to have a discourse and just automatically roping someone who disagrees with you off into a camp of saying like, well, they're not a real fan. They don't get it. The longer you do that, the less love you're going to find in any franchise that you actually truly enjoy. And you're only going to breed hate and contempt from people that are actually probably there just to have a conversation and compare notes. So that's just sort of my short critic's guide to criticism. Again, if you find yourself using any of those four things, maybe take a step back, restructure your arguments. You can still disagree passionately with people. I, I did movie fights for so long. That's exactly what I did. Passionate disagreement, but also with respect and an understanding that that other person isn't necessarily wrong. It's just their opinion, and it's different from yours. It's called discourse, and it's one of the things that I'm here to foster about these movies. So let's jump into my corner of the discourse, my spoiler thoughts on the film. And there was one thing that set up from the very beginning scene of the movie. It's something you've probably heard me use before. I believe it was something termed by Alfred Hitchcock. And that is a MacGuffin. And a MacGuffin is basically the thing that the plot centers around that is not really that important, but is the motivation for what's going to happen. It's something like the Maltese Falcon, which is what the movie The Maltese Falcon is about, but the object itself isn't really that important. It's the quest for it. It's the search for it. Sometimes you have things that are at the center of a movie that are important, like the Ark in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a MacGuffin, but also an important plot piece. There are several MacGuffins in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness of varying importance. The first one is the character of America Chavez herself, because it's really what the movie is about. It's about Wanda trying to get America. But the first scene actually introduces a double MacGuffin, because it also introduces the Book of Vishanti. And for me, this is a bad MacGuffin, because it's meaningless. I think bad MacGuffins are basically objects that you spend a lot of time trying to get to, but once you find them, they have absolutely no consequence to the rest of the movie. And that is the Book of Vishanti. First of all, it is the MacGuffiniest of MacGuffins, because it is literally a book that will do whatever you need it to do, which I think is a little bit of lazy screenwriting, honestly. But even then, when they get there, it's there for like 30 seconds, and then it's immediately destroyed, and it's like, well... What else can we do? I'm really not a fan of this sort of side quest storytelling because I think there is a way to do MacGuffins that are much more consequential and meaningful to the plot and don't make it feel like you just wasted 20 minutes to get to something that doesn't really matter. America Chavez is an interesting character because I think I got it wrong actually in my non-spoiler review. She was always supposed to be in this movie, but then she was going to be carried over into Spider-Man No Way Home. I think I flipped that when I was talking about it earlier and she was basically going to fill the Ned role of opening up the different multiverses and then the release dates got flipped and they had to do rewrites, etc. So I understand that there's probably some things that had to be adjusted. I'm curious to see where she goes from here. I'm a little skeptical about her character because her power set is basically, I can open up a multiverse to anywhere, which basically to me says if there's a problem in the MCU, you have a hero who can open up a multiverse that contains the person or the solution to anything that you might possibly need, uh, which will either require an easy and unsatisfying solution to any problem, or more likely cause the writers to have to come up with reasons about why that person can't solve the problem, kind of like how they had to keep hobbling Quicksilver in different X-Men movies because if Quicksilver 
was able to run around, he could solve any problem that the X-Men had. There's also a little bit of a delicate situation, which is, I love the fact that, and this is apparently very comics accurate, that America has two moms, and this is a bit of a representational piece that uh, Disney slash Marvel actually refused to cut out of the movie uh, for certain foreign markets. I think Saudi Arabia was one of them. They basically said, we're not going to cut out this little bit about our character, which I think is commendable, the fact that you are not cutting out these pieces of representation to appease certain foreign markets where particularly LGBTQ plus issues are not something that they want at the forefront of discussion. But I think they lay it on just a little bit thick because we have a character who has two moms, which again, I think is great. I have no problem with that. But then she's also wearing a jacket with the rainbow pen, which, okay, that's a little bit extra. And the jacket also says amour is amour, basically love is love. I get it. I understand. You want to have a broad array and spectrum of characters, and I think they've done a great job of that so far. But it seems a little try-hard for me at this point by just stacking thing on thing on thing. I love that they're embracing diversity and representation in all of these different movies, but I also feel like there is a tendency from Disney and Marvel to do it in such a huge outward way that they want the pat on the head and the attaboy and I think it would be much better if you just let these characters be who they are not hide who they are but also to not do it in a way that makes it seem like you're going huh? huh? see? I don't need that I think there was actually a bit of a plot thread that may have been part of the original film, which I think may have been more Doctor Strange Wanda-centric, more than it is at least, where Doctor Strange goes to Christine's wedding and this question comes up of, are you happy? And I wonder if there was another version of the script where our Doctor Strange actually used the Darkhold to find one of these multiverses, and Doctor Strange himself takes more of a forward leap in the way that we're told other versions of Doctor Strange did, where he's trying to find his own happiness and then crazy things ensue. At the wedding, we get an appearance from Michael Stuhlbarg. I'm always happy to see Michael Stuhlbarg on the screen. I clap when I see Michael Stuhlbarg, whether it's an MCU movie or not. I loved how he said during the snap he lost two cats and his brother. As a person from a two-cat household, I can certainly understand that inclination uh, when it comes to priorities. It also sounds like it's common knowledge that Doctor Strange was the one who gave up the Time Stone, which basically enabled Thanos to snap everybody away for five years, and that's yet another thing plot-wise that I wish they would have gone into further, because I'm sure that there are some very mixed feelings about him in the Marvel Universe that we don't really go into in this movie. We have the fight with the big one-eyed tentacle monster, which I think was cool. A lot of Raimi touches. I think through no fault of his or Marvel's, it does feel a little bit like an also-ran because we already had a big one-eyed monster fight that ends with a gross-out gag in last summer's The Suicide Squad, but this movie's gonna make like 20, 30 times more money than The Suicide Squad did, so, you know, I guess it all evens out in the end. And it's right about here that we get the big reveal, which is when it comes to Wanda, and I didn't really talk talk about Wanda that much in the non-spoiler review because the trailers actually did a pretty good job of hiding the fact that Wanda was the big bad, and I mean big bad, in this movie. She is a full-on homicidal psychopath. She is willing to do whatever it takes to find the multiverse that has her kids in it. She will kill whoever she needs to, and the movie's treatment of Wanda was by far the thing that I liked the least and the thing that took me out of the movie the most. And I want to be very clear about something right off the bat. Elizabeth Olsen was great. 
Her performance was great. This is nothing about her performance. I think she continues to be great as Wanda. And honestly, I think that because she's been handed off from creative team to creative team to creative team, that she becomes something different every time they feature her. The fact that Elizabeth Olsen has been consistently great is really a tribute to her talent and the fact that she wants to make this uh, as impactful a version of the character as is written on the page. But at the same time, I really think that this was almost a slap in the face of everything that was done in WandaVision. And I know that a lot of people have said like, well, wait, no, this isn't a big change because they established at the end of WandaVision that Wanda is reading the Darkhold, and so it makes sense. And I will say, yes, it makes sense plot-wise. Plot-wise, yes. But at the same time, you had an entire limited series that was devoted to Wanda. She was already doing terrible things. But yet the whole arc of that series was about her confronting that grief. It doesn't mean she's not still sad. But basically at the end of that show, she seems to be on some sort of a healing journey. I'm sorry. For all the pain I caused. I don't understand this power. But I will. And yet, from second one in this movie, she is full-on, destroy the multiverse, murderous rage, I will kill you, I will kill everyone else that gets in my way, I want my kids. I want him dead! I want his family dead! I want his house burnt to the ground! I want to go to the middle of the night, I want to piss on his ass! And I just don't think that that's consistent at all. And I think it took a very three-dimensional Wanda that we got in WandaVision and made her extremely one-dimensional. She's basically the T-1000 in this movie. She is a sharply focused killing machine. And it's not until the very end of the movie that we really get any kind of nuance to that. And I think it's just sort of a slap in the face at the work that was done in WandaVision to really draw out her character. That was my favorite thing about that show was that they finally devoted some time to Wanda and really shaped her character into a very complex psychological profile. And then in this movie, absolutely reduced it to what I found to be a one-note villain. And I think they even could have taken what they established in WandaVision and gone different ways with it that were more satisfying. Because we see in that post credit scene that people keep bringing up where she's reading the Darkhold, we hear her kids calling for help. And yet in this movie, that isn't really established at all. Even in this film, if they had established that Wanda found a multiverse where her kids were in actual danger and she needed to get to that multiverse by whatever means possible, maybe even establish it as the only multiverse where she actually has kids, that could even work. But it's inconsistent even on some plot level details with what they did in WandaVision. I certainly think it was inconsistent on a character level. Yes, Wanda has done some crazy stuff in her past, but I thought that WandaVision was largely about a confrontation and healing journey and then we just throw all of that out the window and it distracted me it took me out of the movie for the entire time there's a rule a lot of times in movies that's show don't tell and basically all of this big turn in Wanda's character that undoes really everything that was done in WandaVision and makes it worse happens off screen we don't see that process. We don't really see that motivation. We're told all of it. For me, that's very narratively unsatisfying. Plus, when we look at the future of Wanda now in the MCU, I think there's really only three options, and I don't think that any of them are good ones. There's one option that is that she's dead, that she takes down that temple, it collapsed in on her, and she's gone, and this is the end of our Wanda here in the MCU, which I think is an extremely unsatisfying ending, especially coming off what was done in WandaVision. The second option is that she's not dead, but they either have to make her more evil, which I don't even know how that's possible going forward, or we have like a Jason Statham Fast and the Furious situation where we somehow have to forgive her for all of these terrible things that she's done that seem unforgivable, and I'm not really sure that that's the road forward. 
And then the third option is that we just go and grab another Wanda from one of the other multiverses, which again, to me, shows the perils and the pitfalls of having a multiverse in movie storytelling. I get it in comics because comics run for years. Comics probably should never end. You have to invent all of these different things in order to kill people and bring them back month to month, year to year. Comics and movies are not the same form of storytelling. And I think when it comes to the cinematic MCU, if you're able to just go grab a character from another multiverse anytime anybody dies, I mean, Marvel already had a death problem. I think things become very unsatisfying and completely completely low stakes. So in addition to some really what I think is inconsistent characterization, I also don't think that they've really left Wanda a good path forward from where we go. Despite Elizabeth Olsen's performance and some of the sequences themselves, pretty much everything with Wanda in this movie was a deal breaker for me. I mentioned though, that there are some sequences that I liked. One of them was that attack on Kamertage. I liked the moment where Wanda is getting into the heads of the different student sorcerers and she whispers run. I think that's a very Wanda way to make her way in and that was a cool use of her powers as she chooses to use them. I thought the sequence where she's using the different reflections to get into the room, this kind of stronghold where they are, that was a great sequence. Very Sam Raimi sequence, very creepy. Again, cinematically very well done. There's also a funny Doctor Strange moment and you actually don't hear me talk about Doctor Strange and won't in this review too much because he really wasn't that important in his own movie but he had some moments and I love the part where he flew up to talk to Wanda and he comes back down next to Wong and just kind of says nailed it that's just such a great humorous Doctor Strange moment I wish there'd been more of those in the movie and then another sequence that I thought was great was after Wanda kind of busts through and finds them we have America and Doctor Strange going through the different multiverses and this sort of journey where they're like popping in and out of like animated multiverse and a paint multiverse again visually fantastic loved it that's what i love in these doctor strange movies is they go visual places that i haven't seen before and i thought that this looked great so we end up on earth 838 which actually looks pretty cool even if you do have to go on red and stop on green i think that's a pretty small adjustment we have pizza papa who i'm sure i've already seen is a fan favorite i love bruce campbell don't get me wrong tonally completely wrong for the movie but that doesn't matter because bruce campbell is great and we basically got to hand this movie over for 30 45 seconds for Bruce Campbell to do a bit and his Bruce Campbell stuff. I will grant the movie that leeway because it was just such a funny character. And again, just a funny name, Pizza Papa. We also get to see a little bit more of America's origin story. And listen, this may be comic accurate, I understand, but just cinematically, the idea that she perhaps permanently exiled her mothers to a multiverse unknown uh, because a bee landed on her hand, it it, it played a bit like a comical moment. And it's definitely not supposed to be a comical moment. It's supposed to be a very traumatic moment in this girl's life. But I think that just the idea of having it be such a low stakes bee, such a low stakes thing, for me, it didn't play in a very effective way. I actually wanted to suppress a chuckle like I thought that they were making a joke and then it's like oh no no no, they're not making a joke I I might have gone with a different establishing or inciting incident there we also get the return of Mordo kind of Uh, It's a version of Mordo, uh, but not our Earth's version of Mordo. And I like Chiwetel Ejiofor, and they sort of explored the dynamic between Strange and Mordo. I like the part where Strange is basically pushing Mordo's buttons and trying to get him to fight him and saying, like, you know what, I bet you hated me in this multiverse, too. I bet you were glad that I died. I thought that that was actually good, but I still also did want some follow-up with our version of Mordo uh, because I liked where they left off in the last Doctor Strange movie where he's basically on this uh, revenge tour. I mean, I guess the bill's not due quite yet. Maybe Mordo was gone for five years and he's still getting his feet under him. But I do hope if there are more Doctor Strange movies in the future that actually focus on 
you know, Doctor Strange, that we do return to this strange Mordo relationship in our reality because I thought that that was going down a very interesting path and I'd hope that they might address it a little bit in this movie. It's also right around this time that the Dark Hole gets MacGuffin, which it already was kind of a MacGuffin, but Wanda already had it, but then it gets destroyed. These mystical books are very fragile uh, for the power that they wield. So then Wanda has to find the real Dark Hole, which is a cave with the Dark Hole spells that's a Scarlet Witch temple. But again, it doesn't really take that much time or effort to get there. She and Wong just kind of go, even though Wong's like, well, it's going to be really hard. It, it really wasn't that difficult, I guess, because it's the Scarlet Witch Temple, and they're like, hey, Scarlet Witch. At the same time, it just sort of felt like an obstacle that they threw in the path of Wanda in order for there to basically just be an obstacle. It didn't really serve that much purpose, and she went right back to what she was doing before the Darkhold got destroyed. So the Darkhold is really like a double MacGuffin, which sounds like something that you might get in McDonald's. It's like the donut's hole inside the donut's hole from Knives Out. The donut hole has a hole in it, Senna. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. Before we continue with this spoiler review, I want to thank the sponsor for today, which is ExpressVPN. And you know what? We've all done it. Maybe you're looking for an anniversary gift for a loved one and you don't want them to see what you're thinking of. Or maybe you want to hide from your boss and your co-workers that you're secretly a fan of Coco Melon. So what do you do? You go into incognito mode because that means you have no digital footprint, right? wrong. Because it doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you visit. That's why I run ExpressVPN on my computer. As a matter of fact, I'm running it right now as I record this review, and I never go online without it. It doesn't matter who your internet service provider is, ISPs in the US can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider can't see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most most powerful encryption available. And this is also a great service for people that travel all the time like me who are connecting to unsecure networks in the airport, free Wi-Fi, or in hotels. It's just that extra level of security that also runs seamlessly in the background and is incredibly easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all of your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV, so there's no excuse not to use it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by Business Insider. And you can visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Merle, to get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, expressvpn.com slash Merle to learn more. And I want to thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's review. So let's talk about the Illuminati because I have very mixed feelings on it. Um, was it cool to see these characters on screen? Yes, I think I can say uh, without hesitation that it was cool to see these different characters. But at the same time, there's a little voice in my head that says, but in service of what? What was the real purpose in this movie other than to be dispatched by Wanda to show that she's powerful, which by the way, we already knew. We have Haley Atwell as Captain Carter. Always happy to see Haley Atwell get work. The character looked really cool in live action. 
cut in half by her shield. We have the Maria Rambeau version of Captain Marvel. Love Maria Rambeau, wish that she was not dead in our current iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has the powers of Captain Marvel. Apparently that does not keep statues from crushing you. Black Bolt, great for Anson Mount, got a second shot at the character. I loved how they showed his powers work when they uh, illustrated the death of that universe's Doctor Strange where he talks and then the word literally just like vaporizes him. Really cool idea, executed very well. I will say of all the Illuminati, he got the best death. I love the talk and then like basically making his brain like go like that. That was really well done. Again, in a vacuum, really well executed by Sam Raimi. Another sequence where you could really see his hands at work. Professor X. Maybe the fan serviest of all of these different cameos. They play a little do-do-do-do-do-do X-Men theme song. Thank you, now that you own Fox. He's got the same jacket, the same tie. He's in the gold wheelchair from the animated series. I love the X-Men animated series. I should have been over the moon about this, and yet I wasn't because that's a cartoon character, and the gold wheelchair looks pretty dumb in live action. Sorry, somebody had to say it. Thought I wanted it, didn't want to do it. Somebody should have said something because it looked kind of stupid. And then we have Reed Richards. Big clap moment, got the biggest response uh, out of any moment in the movie in my audience. And even I was like, oh, wow, okay, so we're doing this. But it turns out we're maybe not doing this. And that's again where I have my biggest problem with this, which is if we're going to get a John Krasinski Reed Richards, then you basically just established it in a one-off appearance where his character is easily killed, and then now you have to establish him in a completely different universe somehow. I will say that if John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic, I hope they modulate something about the performance. Again, it's sort of like the Professor X in the wheelchair thing, uh, the cartoon gold wheelchair. I thought I wanted it, but I really wasn't digging for some reason Krasinski's performance, and I think a lot of it was just the role as it was written. But, but again, we basically have two different options. Number one, John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic, and it's already been revealed, and it's revealed in a different universe that's separate from the other universe, uh, but we already know what the casting is. Or number two, the option is John Krasinski isn't Mr. Fantastic, and this is just sort of a cynical nod towards the fan casting that people have had forever. These cameos are kind of what I was afraid was going to happen if the Spider-Man had showed up in No Way Home, which is that you bring them in to get the applause and like, ah, but they really don't have any function in the story. I thought that the cameos in No Way Home actually served a function and a story purpose and were at the emotional heart and the emotional core of the movie. Here they just seem to have been brought on to get people to clap and applaud and then again to show that Wanda was powerful. Is it a cool sequence? Yes, it's a cool sequence, but we we have now had the first appearance of Mr. Fantastic and the first appearance of one of the legacy Fox X-Men in the MCU in basically one-off roles, one-off positions. And really all that does is deflate the anticipation and the importance of when these characters actually show up in the MCU. I think they traded off all the anticipation that people have had for X-Men and Fantastic Four for basically an applause moment in one movie and that's about it. And so I actually thought that this was kind of a cynical move from Marvel and one that I, I really didn't think that they would take. I thought that we had sort of sidestepped with Spider-Man No Way Home, but I'm kind of seeing an inverse between No Way Home and this movie. The more people liked No Way Home in a lot of situations, the less they seem to like this movie, and the less they like No Way Home, the more they seem to like this movie. So perhaps it's just something in the treatment uh, of the characters. Maybe this was more to the liking of a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't really to my liking. It seemed honestly a little bit cheap, and even though it was a really cool sequence, which it was, I will grant you, a really cool sequence, I just thought that it was in service of nothing, and I, and I just can't get over that.
So following this fight with the Illuminati, which really isn't of much consequence, and this look for the Book of Ashanti, which isn't really of much consequence, America gets thrown back into Wanda's universe where she holds her captive and does that thing where the villain could probably do the thing they need to, but they have to wait for somebody to show up and stop them. And then Doctor Strange and Christine get thrown into yet another universe. And this is the one with the dark Doctor Strange that we saw in all of the different trailers, etc. Although I will say that this dark Doctor Strange never said, Things just got out of hand. And this is another example of a storytelling choice that I didn't particularly agree with that contained sequences that I really loved. Because when we talk about Sam Raimi, one of my favorite Marvel scenes in any movie, I think, is the music fight that happens in this particular sequence where they're throwing notes at each other and you hear it as music and then you bring over the little thing from the harp that gets the Darkhold out of uh, Dark Doctor Strange's hands. I love that. Again, and when you clip that out and put it on YouTube, I'll watch that sequence over and over again and I can absolutely acknowledge that that's great filmmaking. And again, that's why I love these Doctor Strange movies or at least the potential of them because you can do scenes like that in other franchises where you absolutely cannot. By the way, I stopped down to dump some footage and recharge my battery here while I was doing the review, and I realized that I left my cup for Dave's Hot Chicken back there in the background. So in case you've been wondering what's back there, it's Dave's Hot Chicken. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you have 45 minutes to spare to wait for some hot chicken tenders, try Dave's Hot Chicken. Anyway, back to this dark multiverse that we're entering. Doctor Strange eventually defeats his evil self and is able to grab hold of this version of the Darkhold. And it appears that this use is going to have some effect on Doctor Strange later on in the franchise. And you know, I knew when we revealed earlier in the movie that there was a dead Doctor Strange buried in our universe that it was going to come into play later. It, it was Chekhov's dead Doctor Strange, if you will. And sure enough, this is how Doctor Strange is able to confront Wanda even though he can't travel through the multiverse, he's able to dreamwalk into his dead self and be a zombie Doctor Strange, essentially. And this is another place where Sam Raimi really came into play. I thought it was super creepy. I love how he was able to uh, manipulate the souls of the dead to sort of become his cloak of levitation. It was a really cool look. That part I liked. I don't know, however, whose idea it was to have Zombie Doctor Strange be the guy who gives the heartfelt speech, because this very important part of the movie, but also a bit of a cliched thing, look inside yourself, the power you've wanted there all along, doesn't really land when it's coming from Zombie Doctor Strange, when you're trying to play in all seriousness, this character going, America, just look inside yourself, the powers you need have been inside you all along. It, it just didn't work. Those two things just don't go together. And, and I found it to be laughable. And that was not one of the moments that was supposed to be laughable. And so this big emotional moment of the movie also didn't land for me. In addition to the fact, like I said, that it was a cliche. Because how many times have you been in a superhero movie where the hero's like, I, I can't control my powers. And some mentor figure is like, yes, you can. You've been able to control your power all along. Because what's special is inside of you. I get it, but, you know, maybe we can come up with a little bit more originality. So Wanda's defeated by eventually getting what she wants and seeing that her kids in this multiverse see her for what she actually really is, which is a monster, and she decides to bring down the Scarlet Witch Temple on top of herself. Again, 
I mean, I hope this isn't the end of Wanda, but at the same time, I, I don't really know where they're going to go from here. If they're going to one-up Wanda, then I guess we'll see her in a couple more movies when she's leading a villain squad of like Thanos, Red Skull, and somehow Hitler, uh, because you really can't go much more evil than Wanda currently is. And then we have the ending that Sam Raimi likes to do, which is like, everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, but then something crazy happens, and we see that Doctor Strange is being affected by the dark hole. The big eye opens on his forehead and we get like this ah ending which again would be really cool and that is very Sam Raimi except because it's Marvel like a minute later we have to cut back to Doctor Strange on the street to be like oh but but don't worry I mean he's fine he's has a third eye now and he might be evil but he's fine we also have in our first mid-credits scene uh Charlize Theron who's now part of the MCU I've seen some explainers about who she is although they really don't explain it at all she pretty much just kind of Doc Browns her way into the end of this movie and is like we're going on an adventure and opens up a door to what looks like the dark dimension so I guess next time we've got Doctor Strange and Charlize Theron going on they're just kind of dumping beloved stars at the end of Marvel movies now we had Harry Styles walking into the end of the Eternals and now we've got Charlize Theron jumping into the end of Multiverse of Madness okay cool I mean sure why not then of course we get our last in credit scene with Pizza Papa himself Bruce Campbell I love the cheeky humor here uh, basically looking into the camera and saying it's over it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Captain America scene at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming where it's a little bit of a meta reference to the fact that you've all stayed for an end credit scene it seems like it's not worth it and you wonder why you waited so long for something so disappointing and that's it that wraps up Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness so like I said it, it was very tough for me to formulate my thoughts because there's so much that I really loved just on its own uh, and yet it was really the superstructure of the movie that sunk the whole thing for me and I really hope that this isn't where we're headed as far as just jumping into multiverses and grabbing whatever character we want because I don't think that that's really how Marvel succeeded when you look at the success of the Infinity Saga storyline uh, Yes, by the end of it, you had a whole bunch of different characters, but I think that the reason that people loved it so much and, and why that movie did so well was that you were given time to form attachments to pretty much each and every one of those characters, some more than others, but there was a lot of emotionality there, and, and I just didn't feel that in this movie. And I also don't know what we're building towards at this point. We're now three years past the release of Avengers Endgame. Of course, I know we had all of the COVID stuff, but I, I don't know what the superstructure of the Marvel Universe is right now, if they're even going for an overarching storyline. I think a lot of the TV shows and movies are all kind of starting to contradict each other. I don't really know how they all fit together. You know, WandaVision doesn't sit very well with this movie. Everything that we learned in Loki and this version of the multiverse, there are lots of things that have to be sort of reconciled. So I, I think what I'm seeing here is it looks like Marvel's sort of adrift a little bit and that that's not a good place to be so I'm really hoping that we start to get a real focus on where the story's going from here of course from so many other people that have said stuff I know that you like the movie and I'm happy for you that you did there's the vacuuming I think upstairs which is my cue to end the spoiler review so uh, don't forget to check me out on patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle if you want to see even more of what I'm up to I'll be back this weekend uh, and then next week to talk about the box office for Doctor Strange and then this is the very beginning of the summer movie season I'm tracking all the releases as they come out. I'll also be doing reviews, movie news, you name it. Whether you like the movie or you didn't like the movie, I appreciate you checking out my spoiler thoughts on it. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for watching. Bye.